Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally, voidware prohibited, must be 18 or older to enter, no purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hello there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today we are talking with Mandra Singh. Mandra, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself? I would love to. Thanks for having me, Joy. I'm Mandra Singh, as you said. I currently lead the acute and pair markets at Point Click Care. And prior to Point Click Care, I was at Collective Medical. And so I actually came to Point Click Care by way of acquisition two years ago. Prior to that, I was at Athena Health. So I've really been a health IT junkie for like the most of my career at this point. Was that the only acquisition you've ever been through? Because those can be a little uh, tumultuous. You know, it's funny. I've been on the other side of a lot of acquisitions when I was at Athena. And then prior to that, actually, I was both an investment banker and a VC investor. So this was my first time being on the selling side of it. But I I have to be honest, we had a lot of options and we picked Point Click Care in large part because what an amazing culture they have. And I can sit here almost two years out and tell you it's absolutely borne out. It's an amazing company with really great passion for the population that we serve. And the acute and payer market is was pretty new, Point Click Care. And it's really exciting to now see how many bridges we've built from the senior care side of the business, the acute and payer side of the business. What is it about the culture that speaks so much to you? You know, it's funny. I feel like healthcare... Healthcare is a hard business. Yeah. It's not an easy industry. It might, the, the thing I love about it might be that everybody kind of has a story. And so I'm joining Point Click Care. I get to work with a lot of people that have a story. And where the reason they wake up and go to work every day is really about the impact. And I think when you have that as like the, the core thing that binds you together, it's easier to get through all kinds of work friction. You know, working remotely, we did the acquisition completely remotely and meeting all these new teammates. It's so much easier to build bridges when you're coming from that common understanding of like, this means something to me. And so that makes a really big difference. We're also founder-led still, which is pretty amazing because for so many people, 
they've seen this company go from nothing to a really, really great enterprise that now really covers the expanse of the senior care and post-acute senior living space, but then now also has a tremendous network in health systems and health plans. So I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about the bridges. Like, what does it mean to build bridges and what kind of bridges to where and to what have you guys built yes, bridges to? It's so exciting. So I remember the first time I visited a skilled nursing facility. And this was when I was still at Collective because it turned out that Collective Medical also had solutions that were focused on the transition of care. And I remember a patient being wheeled out on a gurney with a piece of paper pinned to their chest. And this was how the SNF was planning to communicate with the hospital where this patient was destined. Think about that. Like literally, there's very little in my life right now that doesn't sit in my phone, my calendar, or somewhere in the ether. And yet, as this patient was like getting rolled into an ambulance to go to what might be the most important evening of their lives, the way that the people that had cared for them day in and day out were going to communicate with their fellow caregivers was a piece of paper. Pinned to their coat. Pinned to their coat. Like, let's just hope the right person reads this. It's really where our technology comes in and the problem we solve. And we were already doing that when we got acquired. But that was that first kind of footbridge, I'll call it. And since then, we've built a lot more on that. So today, whether you're a health plan, an ACO, a SNF, there is something for you as you look at what point-click care can give you to really understand that transition that's happening to so many patients. So 85% of patients will get discharged from a hospital to a point-click care SNF. That's pretty meaningful. And so as you think about that, the ability for a health system, for a payvider, for a health plan, for an ACO to understand not just that the patient is in a skilled nursing facility, because unlike an ED, that's not a half hour. That's weeks, right. months. And as you think about that, for them to be able to double click and like understand what's going on with their patient... What's the expected length of stay? How are their LDALs? These are all things that so far have been a real blind spot to those of us who are used to your five-step you know, PCP visit or what it looks like to be in an inpatient setting for a much shorter amount of time. So these are the bridges that we're connecting, which start with transparency, but then really lead to deep collaboration. And of course, at the center of that is better outcomes for the patients. Well, let's talk about the patients. So we're talking about vulnerable populations and let's talk about elderly care, right? Yeah. It's something we forget about. It's like we're all getting older, like even as we sit Uh here. I feel it. And the population (laughs) will, like the percentage of our population that will be senior will double between 20, I think it's the the status from 2016 to like 2050, right? And so that's staggering to think about how many the boomers are getting older. And the thing is, it's almost like we put things in different buckets. We're like, you are aging. And then in another bucket, we put behavioral health issues or chronic conditions. But it turns out that overlap, there's a huge overlap there. And so the number of seniors who are dealing with behavioral health, the number of seniors who are dealing with chronic conditions, and how do we make sure that when we think about the patient profile that we're solving for, we're really looking at that intersection. These are the patients who fall through the cracks. 
And so it's somewhere that we feel very strongly that we need to center on. Well, I imagine our behavior is going to change quite a bit as we get older. I can feel already. I'm like, I'm not in the same body that I was in even (laughs) three years ago. (laughs) For sure. I feel you there, Joy. Yeah. And I can't imagine what it's going to be like 20 years from now or 40 years from now, personally, me and my body, right? And I'm just like, okay, so how do we support adults and seniors as they're going through these changes? It's not like you know what to expect. And it's certainly not like one size fits all. Absolutely. And not just that, if you think about like the prevalence of dementia, right? This is where it becomes really important that systems can support these individuals. One of the things that our platform allows you to do that's pretty different than an EHR is to say, hey, this patient's primary person is his sister. Her name's Susan. Here's her number. So that when that patient with some dementia shows up, the social worker or the case navigator has some way to pull apart the layers of who is the person sitting in front of them. And so I think that you're absolutely right. We talk a lot about whole person care and social determinants. And the reality is that our aging patients are not really that far removed from the patients that we talk about where we need to wrap our arms around them and make sure that the care is holistic. Well, can we also talk about the cost of care at the end of life? We put a, like, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, just considering where you sit in the healthcare ecosystem, but I'd love to learn more about it. It's just like, okay, what is, what is it that we are spending money on now? And is that appropriate? Should it be more? Should it be less? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's a great question. It is a big spend. And the reality is we're looking a lot as a system, like as an overall industry, at how do you break down that cost? And some of the innovation there is really exciting, right? You look at hospital at home with companies like Contessa who are able to help hospitals where that's not the right setting for a patient, but also a sniff isn't either, right? Like figure out how to create that hospital at home. I also think the growth in palliative care, an area that has not gotten as much attention, but is so important as we think about giving patient options towards end of life is really meaningful. And you are seeing a lot of movement towards the home and acknowledgement that a lot of patients that are in the hospital don't necessarily need to be there as they get older. So I don't know very much about hospital at home. Can we? Can you help me understand better and thereby our listeners too? Absolutely. And I will start by saying I'm definitely not an expert. And so you should have Travis Messina come talk, though he's not a woman. So I guess he doesn't, that doesn't really fit. <laughs> and yet he's an expert and an ally. So maybe there's something there. But companies like Contessa essentially help health systems say, this patient is will do fine at home. But it's pretty intensive to create that hospital environment at home. And so Contessa is one example, but there's a whole range of what does it look like to help a patient actually be successful at home? Because the reality is, and we've learned this through COVID, right? The strain on an individual caregiver, like that might work for our system. Oh yeah, you should be taken care of at home. But are they really cared for? Is the caregiver able to actually do that, right? For those of us who are, you know, the, the whole sandwich generation, it's very top of mind. 
And so there's a whole range there, but yes, it, it turns out that there are ways to care for patients who are even more closer to that acute spectrum, but in the comfort of their own home because it's long-term. But is it a matter of getting them certain equipment? Is it getting them access to people? Is it all like, of it's it. everything? It's all of it, okay. yeah. It's not a business that we're currently in, but it's something we watch really closely because a lot of our patients who are in the SNF or in our senior living, right, and we do have some home health coverage, will eventually find themselves potentially in the scenario. Well, speaking of, I mean, kind of transitioning from hospital at home and the potential of technology, how does technology play a role into this whole conversation? I know that's broad. Yeah, but- no, it is broad, but it's it's top of mind for sure, right? We're sitting here surrounded by a bajillion companies, which is fascinating just to see the growth in the space. There are so many things that are exciting. So we're seeing new care delivery models, right? We're seeing new technology stacks. I think the thing that for me is really important as we've talked about today is like, how do we make sure we're meeting patients and providers where they are? I see a lot of new, right? But if you look at states like Nebraska and Iowa and the states in the middle of the country, there's a lot of patients there that are not going to be served by the new care delivery models. Mm -hmm. So as we think about how are they accessing care, making sure we're bringing innovation to those settings, to the emergency department, to the hospital, because for a lot of folks in rural areas, their hospital is their first point of call. How do we make sure that the SNF, the senior living, that we're bringing innovation to all of these settings, which may not be new and shiny and sexy, but they are how the majority of people in the United States find care. Can we talk about you personally for a second? Absolutely. Do you mind? I would like to know, like, well, it sounds like you are involved in a lot of organizations, right? <laughs> so do you, like, how many buckets do you have your hands in? A lot. And I feel that often, but it's an exciting space to be in. So the way I think about my time is I like to spend my time first with innovators. So companies that are trying to scale, I do some angel investing, which is super fun because it is so exciting for me to see innovators and entrepreneurs and lots of amazing female entrepreneurs also come from other industries and decide that like they are going to pick the unsexy things in healthcare to solve, like menopause and all these things that we just don't spend enough time talking about. So I spend some of my time there. I obviously spend a lot of my time at Point Click Care, where, which I love because we have an amazing team. And then as you may know, I'm on the board of the Zoria Foundation, which has the most amazing mission, which is to help our frontline workers Workers, whether it's nurses or providers, ensure that they have the means to do that frontline work. And one of the areas we support them is by helping them pay for childcare, which as someone who has two littles, I certainly know the burden. And if I'm feeling that, I cannot imagine making the choice between spending the time with my kids or going to my job and having that situation where you need to be somewhere and you just don't have anyone to, to you know, uh, watch your child. So, I try to make sure the time I'm spending is in the highest value places, but I'm definitely working on saying no, which is something that is very hard to do, but I think important, particularly for those of us who like to have our, who like to spend all our time thinking about how to solve healthcare. It's not a small problem, it turns out. No, it's not. There's, I always, I um, constantly find myself saying there's no shortage of work to be done. And I also think about like what kind of impact I can have. And so... I am with you. There are times that I'm like, I need to be saying 
no more often, but it's like, I care. And I'm sure it, you do as well. So yeah. I... The other thing I think about is attention as an economy where literally like where I put my attention is very much like, well, I'm not giving it over here. I'm, you know, it's limited, right? Yes. How do you, I mean, you're spending your attention so much in all in giving. And I just want to say that I admire what you're doing and I'm very impressed. And honestly, sitting here at, across the table from me, I'm like, how does somebody even get into that position? It is like, you seem very young and I'm just like, like, how in the heck did you do it? <laughs> well, I appreciate it. A lot of good mentors, a lot of some, I often say it's better to be lucky than good, but it's also the framework I'm using right now is when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. And that for those of us who learned the hard way about self-care through COVID has been really meaningful to me, but I can't tell you how exciting the current momentum is. Now, this industry is going to see a lot of change in the next year. I think we all know that. We're seeing the signs of it. And yet, I think that there is still tremendous work to be done and that we're finally zeroing in, whether it's like the explosion in women's health, right? Or chronic conditions, all these areas that 10 years ago, there was no way you were going to have a stadium full of companies that were trying to solve that problem. And so I'm rooting for it and I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah, I'm here for it too. And I'm rooting for you. Thank you, Joy. Likewise. Yeah. So if people want to connect with you, follow you, you're on your journey, how would you direct them? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. So come find me. And I always love to chat with other innovators. Okay. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Joy. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I am truly grateful for you and I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave us a rating or review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All those things help us podcasters out so much. I'm the show's host, Joy Rios, and I'll see you next time.